Blog Talk Radio. It's the Jenny Hatch Show at Blogging Mothers Magazine, and I'm your host. Today I'd like to just share a few thoughts on healing, and I thought I would use this podcast to share more details about my healing journey. And this show is really targeted to those people who have been struggling with emotional illness. I also have had tremendous healing around my physical body, but the most profound healing that I've experienced over these 47 years that I've been walking the planet have occurred around my mental health. Last month, a young student here at the school where I live in southern Utah took her own life and despite a a promising future with with limitless potential, um, she's, she's gone. And because she was a family member of family members, um, you know, not directly blood relative to me, we were clued in a little bit more about where she was at and what happened than probably the average person. And whenever a young person in their early 20s commit suicide, it's always um, a triggering moment for me uh, that I have to step back and ponder um, my life and, and think through some things because I have been suicidal so much during my life that, um, you know, I'm always curious to know more about those who who actually do this completely destructive act against themselves. And so I've I've spent a lot of time the last few weeks pondering and praying for this girl's family. I've never made an attempt to take my own life, but I've spent many, many hours thinking about it. And I was hospitalized first in my 20s at the age of 21 for suicidal overwhelm for a couple weeks. And then again, I was hospitalized for a few days after the death of my brother in 2001, again, for suicidal overwhelm. And then most recently, I was hospitalized again about three years ago. It's really going on four years because it was January of 2012. So three and a half, four years ago, I was hospitalized again for feeling suicidal and not able to cope um that hospitalization i was i was in for 12 days and had a lot of time to work through some issues that were plaguing my mind i believe my emotional body has had horrifying connection to my physical body and and how i grieve is i i don't cry i'm not a big crier i'll tear up here and there but i'm not one of those ugly criers who has a, a good sob every couple of weeks I am someone who mourns through my lungs and have always had uh, asthma and struggle with my breathing since I was a little girl. I have struggled with my breathing. Because of this problem with my lungs, I've had so much congestion that often led 
many infections, and so I had bronchitis, pneumonia over and over all through my teens and my early 20s. And then the last few years, I've struggled so much with a hypoxic condition that I I had to go on oxygen because I just could not get my breath, and it left me feeling... Um, like I was in a constant state of panic because I just couldn't get enough oxygen into my body. And so my lungs have been the way that I have truly expressed my emotions. And whenever I was emotionally distraught, my lungs would seize up in asthma symptoms, constricting to the point where I felt like, like I was dying. And so I've had these episodes over and over where I had to run to the emergency room and um, have help with my breathing. When my husband lost his job 18 months ago, we also lost our health care benefits. And so this put me in the, in the really uncomfortable position of, well, I have meds here at home in the form of my albuterol inhaler and my prednisone and EpiPen if I have a anaphylactic situation or, um, you know, antihistamines if I get into an allergy situation. And those things help. Um, I was really put into the almost unbelievable situation of having to consider that if I had a lung emergency and needed to go to urgent care or to the ER, we didn't have any insurance to cover that emergency. And so for about nine months after Paul lost his job, I kind of cloistered in my bedroom, surrounded by my uh, humidifier, my air purifier, my essential oil diffuser, and my, my oxygen machine, hardly daring to go out in public out of sheer terror that I would have an episode and have to go to the ER, thus sending our family into bankruptcy. Because not only did we not have the health insurance, we didn't have any money. So for for many months, I lived in fear and terror that if I did not watch and guard myself almost to the point of paranoia that I was going to be the source of of devastating our family's finances. And so I had this kind of, you know, head trippy feeling of like, you know, I just have to be uber cautious and make sure I don't get exposed to any allergens. And so, you know, I got released from visiting teaching and I pulled away from my church activity because so often when I go out in public, I will get exposed to things that trigger my uh, my lung reactions. It can even be something as goofy as fabric softener scent on somebody's clothes, somebody wearing excessive perfume or hairspray. And, and so, you know, I pulled back and didn't really do too much out of deep concern that if, if I my lungs became overwhelmed that, um, you know, I'd have an emergency and it would just, When you have a breathing emergency, it gets scary in a matter of minutes. And so my whole focus was on preventing that from happening. 
Now, during those months, I did do some things. I took some trips, and we, you know, did a few things around town. But there was always this undercurrent of terror and fear that if I wasn't careful, I was going to be in big trouble. Um, About nine months ago, I got a call from my friend Howard, and he asked me if I would be interested in starting a theatrical group tied to the Neil Simon Festival. The day he called, I literally was in my bedroom again, surrounded by all of my machinery and my humidifier and trying to do my yoga breathing to, to help my lungs. And my first inclination was to say, eh, I don't, I don't think I'm healthy enough to do a project like that. But he was so excited, and he really felt like I could do it. And he, he wasn't aware of any of my health or emotional challenges. But I thought, well, you know, I guess I can just explore this a little bit. And so we started down this path of starting this professional theatrical company called the Neil Simon Players. And as the past nine months have rolled out, I have been shocked at how healing it has been for me to direct this group. Every time we have had a rehearsal, an audition, a performance, felt a healing energy enter my body. And it has been profound and real and exciting because I've gotten this sense of winning at the game of life, beating back the emotional distress that is the the source of so much of my physical pain and um, moving out of this place of fear and terror and concern that if I wasn't exceptionally protective of my health and my lungs, again, I would be the source of our family just sinking into financial oblivion. Right now, we're we're holding our heads above water with my husband's uh, contracting job in town. Um, But, you know, one one um, ER um, run and and that's over. So um, the weeks have gone by and I had moments over the last few months and I just didn't think I could do this and I I almost called and said, I can't do it, I need to quit, I need to stop. But as we've slowly expanded out and found more people, we're up to six players now and uh, are starting to get a, a reputation in town for really fun show, and the feedback's been positive. As each development has taken place, I I have better and better about my health. I'm like, wow, maybe I can really heal this thing. I'm to the point now where I only need to use my oxygen concentrator. I have a portable Inogen machine. I only need to use it when I'm traveling and exposed to a lot of chemicals on a road trip or I'm in a tight space with a lot of people um, where the oxygen is, you know, being sucked up by everybody in the room and, you know, just can't get enough air. And so I I take it with me when I know I'm going to be surrounded by a lot of people and in a very public situation. But most of the time I have not had to use the oxygen 
And that is a miracle to me because I was at a point about a year ago when I had to use it almost 24 hours a day. And I give all of the credit to this healing, to music, and to uh, having the blessing of being surrounded by all of these amazing SUU students who are all studying music and theater and the, the joy that I felt in, in rehearsing and performing with them. I wish I could say that being a mother and a wife and living my day-to-day life with my family would have been enough and, and that that would have healed me. And there is no question that the love of my husband and the support from my five children and all of the, the love that we share and the, the joy that I feel as their lives unfold then the constant base of healing in my body and in my mind. There's no question that the unconditional love I feel for my husband has been key in me finding sanity amidst uh, the, the trials and temptations of, of my mortality. But this extra layer of grace in the form of being able to do musical theater at a very high professional level with wonderful, loving, amazing people has been my ticket to a healing miracle. I have to just shout it out that if you are someone who is suffering with depression, with anxiety, with suicidality, with any sort of emotional pain, that there is healing to be found in the art. And that through the medium, the powerful medium of singing and dancing and acting, we can find a wholeness that often feels just out of reach as we are making our way back to our Heavenly Father. And there have been so many moments in my life when I simply did not want to be here anymore. I wanted to go home. I would spend hours at certain points in my life pleading with Heavenly Father to let me come home. Mortality was too hard. I couldn't do it anymore. It just wasn't fair how difficult it was. And he needed to let me be released from this calling. And every time I had those hours of prayer and pleading, I felt like such a failure because I had been so blessed given me this this experience of coming to the earth and getting my physical body and being born into a home where I was taught the gospel and I was taught to love music and I was taught to love the Savior and the scriptures and I was an American and I was born in freedom and I had so many blessings. And during these times of distress, I couldn't see all those blessings. All I could feel was my emotional pain and overwhelmed with depression, I would just plead 
please let me come home. And, you know, it's just a very, very short step from that state of mind of pleading with heaven to jumping over the bridge into, well, if he's not going to let me come home, I'm going to just take myself home because I can't take this anymore. And so many times throughout my life, especially during my teens and 20s, um, I would find myself moving into that darker place of, okay, if you're not going to answer my prayers, I'll just take matters into my own hands and I will fix this problem. And it was during those states of mind that I sought help and received excellent support from my family and from the professionals who I trusted to help me through those crises. Podcast is the time to talk about why all of this distress has been swirling around in my head for my whole life. Ever since my hospitalization in 2012, I've been composing a book in my mind delineating all the things that happened that contributed to these diseases in my brain and in my heart. But I haven't felt like it was time to write it all down yet, mostly because it's it's such heinous, ugly stuff that I don't want to revisit it. But at some point in the future, I am going to document what happened because I believe there needs to be more truth-telling around why we become suicidal and depressed. The point of this podcast today is to express my hope for the future, my utter confidence in the healing power of the atonement of Jesus Christ and all of its many forms. I believe one of the most powerful forms of healing comes with music participating in it, listening to it, learning it, and that in these melodies and rhythms and just the fun of of performing and listening to this music, we have a healing power enter into our hearts that is, I, I can't think of any other medium on the planet that is more powerful than music. And so that's what I what I wanted to talk about today that if you are suffering, if you are engulfed with the pain of depression and anxiety, there is healing to be found in music. Now, I've, I've also used many other things to help me on my path, not the least of which is, is whole foods, herbs, essential oils, powerful healing and all of that. But for me... The power that trumps all else is the priesthood that is honored and utilized for the healing of the sick and the afflicted. And I have had so many priesthood blessings throughout my life from my husband, from my family, from trusted bishops 
and home teachers and friends that um, it, I can look back on my life and see that I just sort of went from blessing to blessing to blessing as I have worked through all of these many, many traumas. And I feel like I'm turning a corner with my life right now to move into a place of grandchildren and quiet gospel living that centers around music and family and service. And as my body has healed these past few months and my lungs feel so much better, better than I I can remember even just in the last 10 years, just makes me want to shout out a huge thanks to my Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of those people who honor him, who have helped me, whether they be doctors or my psychologist, my therapist, or just uh, my good friends. The other thing that went with the healthcare benefits was the ability to go meet with my therapist, and I have not talked to her since Paul lost his job. And while that loss has also been significant, because there were several times in the last 18 months when I could have used a good hour of um, talking with someone who could offer me lots of support, again, the gaps there were filled in with music and with healing power from from these priesthood blessings. The final thing I'd like to address, and it's, it's a difficult thing for me to talk about because I don't want to hurt or wound anyone who's suffering, but I feel like it's important to address it. And that is this. I believe there is too much emphasis in our society and especially in Mormon culture, on pharmacological solutions for our emotional illnesses. I believe there is too much of a dependence and a push for those who are suffering with depression and anxiety to use these drugs, even to the point that the professionals and the families surrounding those who are suffering will say things like, Prove to us that you want to get better by taking these drugs or any resistance you have to taking these drugs is evidence that you don't really want to get better. And I want to testify that those two statements are lies. The person suffering wants nothing more than to get better. They want nothing more than to feel peace and have all of this agitation in their minds melt away. So to lay that on their head, that you have to prove to me that you want to be better by taking a mind-altering substance several times a day, that is a lie. And one of the things that people are not aware of is that when, especially young men, but teenagers of any age, take these drugs, and then decide to try to come off it, 
the weeks following the stoppage of the drugs is a heightened time, a heightened time when the potential for them to commit suicide is there. This has been proven over and over and over again by studies. And if the families are not aware that this is the very time when they need to surround that person and support them, instead of questioning, oh, what are you doing? You're messing with your meds. Are you being followed by a doctor? Is somebody monitoring this? You know, that's the time they are the most vulnerable to committing suicide is when they've stopped their meds. And so as I've watched young people in my community uh, go from drug to drug to drug, because that's the other merry-go-round side of this profession that nobody talks about. Oh, you're not doing well on this drug? Well, guess what? We've got 10 more that we can try. And they move to this drug, and then they move to that drug. And during this merry-go-round of trying all of these different meds, the frenzied mind that results is often the thing that triggers them into actually committing that most violent crime against themselves and ending their own life. I I have a disgust and a hate in my heart for what pharmaceuticals have done to those who are suffering with emotional illness. When I had my first breakdown when I was 21, and so many of us who suffer with these illnesses, this start when we're 21. Often we've, we've had a previous suicidal episode during the year that we're 15. That's the precursor, and that's the moment that everybody should go, okay, there's a problem brewing here. But it's age 21 when they often act out in some significant way, mania, full-blown psychosis, suicidal depression, complete schizophrenic episode, that's when it starts. And then those poor souls, like me, are told, in order for you to be well, for the rest of your life, you have to take our drugs in order to be well. I was told that when I was 21. The only way I was going to be able to function as a human being was if I took their drugs. And I want to testify that that is a lie. And it's also been proven that those who have had a psychotic episode who only use the meds short-term do better long-term than those who are on antipsychotics for their whole life. And think about the people, think about the people you know in your day-to-day life who've been on psychiatric meds for the past few decades, are they better? Are they functioning? Are they more coherent? Are they able to take care of themselves or a family? These are the questions we all need to be asking that nobody is against, especially me. I am not against someone getting significant professional help. Professional help during a psychotic episode, a depression, a suicidal overwhelm, any sort of incident where they need professional help, of course they need to be sedated. Of course there is relief to be found in these drugs for a short-term focused time that will help them over the hump. That's appropriate. 
But for long-term health, for long-term mental well-being, the answers for all of us are to be found in whole foods, proper sleep, hydration, staying away from chemicals, finding fulfilling things to do like yoga and music, and filling our minds with the most positive, amazing, spiritual things that we can place into our brains to help us to heal from whatever is causing this distress. I'm sorry if by saying these words I have hurt you. That is not my intent. But my hope is that by all of us realizing that the clinical world has been absolutely duped by Big Pharma. The DSM-5 is a joke. The professionals who put together the DSM-4 said this new manual that will affect mental health for the next 10, 15, 20 years is a literal joke. It's not worthy of a people who like to call themselves free, who like to think of themselves as an empowered, wonderful, proactive group of liberty-loving American people. It, it, it is a fraud. I just saw a headline today that said that the number one reason why American employers want illegals coming into the country is because so many of the American people cannot pass a drug test that they can't find employees. Everyone knows that the pharmaceutical legal prescription drug addiction problem is way worse than anything going on with illegal substances. So my testimony and my challenge to anyone listening to this today is that if we can start to think beyond the drug and pharmaceutical answers for our distress and move into a place of wholeness and healing with things that have nothing to do with big pharma, that is where we will find our long-term health. That's my witness, and that's my testimony. Thank you for tuning in. This is Jenny Hatch from the Natural Family Blog. This is my radio show podcast at Blogging Mothers Magazine. I hope you have a great day.